Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. If you have your Bibles... I would love for you to turn to Matthew 27. I just want to spend a little bit of time here kind of two, uh, two things that I want to focus on. The first one is that Good Friday pains us. The second one is that Good Friday pains God. And if you're writing down notes, that's all you got to take. I have no slides. So um, Matthew 27, I'm going to start in verse 31. I want to read about Jesus' death here. It says in verse 31, When they had mocked him, they stripped him of his robe and put his own clothes back on him. They led him away to crucifixion. As they were going out, they found a man from Cyrene named Simon, whom they forced to carry his cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, and offered Jesus wine mixed with gall to drink. But after tasting it, he would not drink it. When they crucified him, they divided his clothes by throwing dice. And then they sat there, and they kept guard over him. Above his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two outlaws who were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left, and those who passed by defamed him, shaking their heads and saying, You who can destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are God's Son, come down from the cross. In the same way, even the chief priests, together with the experts in the law and elders, were mocking him. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. If he comes down now from the cross, we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God, if he wants to, deliver him now. Because he said, I am God's son. The robbers who were crucified with him also spoke abusively to him. I, uh, I want to just point out in verse 42, it says, if he comes down now from the cross, we will believe in him. I think that that component of this entire story is probably the biggest narrative that we respond to in our own hearts of, if God would just do X, Y, and Z, then I would believe in him. Then it would be real. Then it would be a reality. I find it funny that when you read this story, you are going through the, some of the most... In intense moments, and they're mocking him, and they almost, they almost are, I think they're almost baiting him curious, like, if he doesn't do it, we're right, and we mock him, but there's this small glimpse that, man, if he did, though, like, it would be something, and sometimes what we think is the obvious answer is not the right answer, in fact, when we read Jesus, that's pretty much most of the time, that he does something, and we think he's going to go a certain way, and it goes really just the complete opposite. Right? We try to pin him in a corner. We think he's going to do this, or he's going to respond in that way. Many of you would even ask the question, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? Then you try and think of what Jesus would do, and we're probably all wrong most of the time. right? 
And in this instance, you have these people, and I just, I think, like, I have said these words in my own heart, in my own prayers, like, if you would just do this thing, then I would believe in you. Or if you're doubting, if you just did this thing, then I wouldn't doubt, or I wouldn't have this struggle. Or if you just didn't allow this thing to happen, right? Or uh, if you just didn't, you know, make me this way, or uh, give me this disability, or this problem, or this strife, or this family, or these parents, or this abusive relationship, or this trauma, like you can name, name the list. Um, I think we all, we all can, we can resonate with that. And what, what pains us in this is that in this moment, I think people, even, the, even these people who are mocking him, still have this piece of them that is like, you know what though? If he did that, it'd be something. The difference between, I think, us and them is that the religious leaders had already seen a lot of things happen. In fact, a couple days ago, he just healed a man from the dead. So to ask him to get off a cross wouldn't be that big of a a move compared to his resume. But it's just the pride of not wanting, right? You you think that even in the way that God moves, he should move in the way that you want him to. And and so in this passage, I, I wanted to focus just on that piece, that we would just like reflect on that even in the biggest tragedies, even in the most difficult hardships, that we ask this question, if you just did this thing, I'd be fine, right? If you just responded in this way, I'd believe. And I I want you to sit in that tension because many of us have prayed that prayer, have had that struggle. People that aren't in this room that are friends with or family with are praying that now, and they don't feel like God is answering them. And so I think part of this day is realizing that what everyone had thought Jesus was going to do, he didn't do. And it appeared as though he failed. And I think that we know the end, so it's very hard for us to sit and to pause here and to be like, Jesus failed, and I put all my trust in him. We don't really like think like that because we know the ending. But these people put all their trust in him. The people from the outside did not, the religious leaders and all that. But the disciples gave up their whole life for this. Jesus dies, and they're not thinking, man, I wonder if all those things he said, like, are going to come to fruition. Like, he's going he's gonna to resurrect in a few days. And it's pretty obvious they didn't because they were hiding in a room, and they didn't, you know, women were the first ones to go out to kind of see Jesus at the tomb. And so in that tension, I want us to sit there because I want us to realize that, it, that there's pain in life, and oftentimes God does not take the pain away. And he did not take it away from us, and so that means something, right? If you're a philosophy person, if there is a reality of pain in the world, if there is evil and malevolence and suffering and tragedy, um, you can either say, well, God isn't powerful enough, right? Like he can't do anything about it, or he has a different alternative plan. And in this instance, we're going to see that pain and suffering actually provide the most radical, fruitful sacrifice in the world. And so when we sit here, it pains us because we think Jesus isn't doing what he should be doing in our lives, whatever you fill in the blank. The second piece is it painting the Father, it painting God, it causing legitimate pain in God's heart. In verse 45 it says, Now from noon until three, darkness came over all the land. At about three o'clock, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lima Sabachtina which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. 
Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink. But the rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Just then the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks were split. This is only recorded in Matthew, which is, is wild. But tombs were opened and bodies of many saints who had died were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were extremely terrified and said, Truly this one was God's son. Many women who had followed Jesus from Galilee and given him support were also there watching from a distance. And among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, or James and Joseph, and the mothers of the sons of Zebedee. Not only, you know, not only is God the Father pained, Jesus is pained. And what's unique is that, like, if you name any sort of pain or tragedy or suffering, Jesus has encountered all of them. It's one thing to die. It's another thing to die a very painful, slow, excruciating death. It's, it's, another, it's one thing to die a very slow, painful, excruciating death, but then to also die alone. It's one thing to die alone an excruciating and painful death, but it's another thing to die that and alone and misunderstood. And all of those things are true of Jesus. It says that in, in John's account, he subtly is bragging that he was kind of there, but all the disciples were gone. It's a few women, and he was left alone, and everyone is mocking him. And I, I just think that we have to realize that not only are we pained in the reality of suffering and tragedy, that God is not just like this distant God who lets us experience pain and he's like, I'm just sorry, that's so, that's so tough. Like, I don't know what that feels like. But that he, through his son, came down and experienced that for us on our behalf. And in some ways, far greater than any of us will ever experience. And not only did Jesus experience that, but God the Father experienced that. It's one thing to have the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's one thing to have the Son experience pain, but it's also another thing to have the Father experience pain for what's going on. A lot of times we, we think about, like I said, the Easter day and we think about God is so excited and like this big move he made and it was this checkmate over sin, right? And, but we forget that, that God the Father had to sacrifice in order to get there. And so I, w- I want to read this story. I, I want to close just with this story. It comes from an author. Um, so I didn't, I didn't make this up. I'm stealing it. But uh, from Matthew Kelly. And he paints this picture and I was reading it a few days ago. And it was very wild because uh, it will have a lot of like very similar vibes to what COVID has done to us over the last few years. This was written several, several years ago, and it's shocking how kind of consistent it is. But imagine this. You're driving home from work this next Monday, and uh, you know, you're listening to a podcast or you're on, the, you're on the radio, maybe you're old-fashioned, and you have a blurb about this disease that's occurring in India. And uh, it's basically a flu and it's killing people, and only a few people have died, and so you're like, oh, it's India, you know, India's massive, and there's lots of people, whatever, right? And we don't really think anything of it, but it made an article. So you're like, you go on with your normal day, and, you know, they're sending a few people there to investigate it, because it's very unique, but you keep, you keep on your normal day. And then, a few days later, you're hearing another article, maybe you swipe over on your phone, and you're reading, like, Apple News or whatever, and you realize that that few, few people had now, has now risen to 30,000 people in that village, 
and you're like, wow, that's pretty serious over there. I mean, they don't have the same sanitary rules and all this type of stuff, you know, whatever. It's, it's in India, right? And, it's, and, and they're starting to track this virus, and, and people can't figure it out. And it's, it's funny because I'm like, with COVID, I mean, it was very, it, it took us by surprise. And they're like, well, this is, you know, this is a coronavirus. We know what these are, but like figuring out vaccines, figuring out protocol, figuring out how to live a life sustainable with all of this was mayhem. And in this instance, people are dying like crazy. It's far worse than COVID. And basically what it is, you get a flu, you have no symptoms for several days, and then you have about three or four days of just unbelievable symptoms, and then you die. And it's extremely contagious. And so India is getting wrecked by this. And once again, you're like, well, I'm in America. It's India. It's fine. They'll just shut down all of the airports. And then all of a sudden, a few days later, it's Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran. And before you know it, the story is everywhere. It's just taking over all these countries. And they're locking down airports, which we've experienced. And... And you're like, man, this, is, this seems pretty real. You know, it's like spreading, it's contagious, it's getting to a point where it's, it's killing lots of people. And how are we going to contain it, you know, is the question, which we very much have all asked ourselves with COVID. How are we going to contain this thing? How do we not get it? How do we prevent it? How do, if we do get it, how, how do we, like, heal from it? And, uh, and so it hits Europe. It starts decimating Europe. They shut down all their flights, and all of the, the president of France makes an announcement. All these people start just freaking out because this isn't like COVID where people can get sick and be fine. Everybody who's getting it is dying. If you get it, you basically die. And, you know, meanwhile, all these churches in America and yourself and your church are rallying and praying and, like, sending resources, but then you realize, like, well, we shut down airlines and all these, the economy is, like, starting to just crumble because we rely on all these other countries and things. And we've experienced small amounts of that. But all of a sudden, you're starting to, like, almost panic. People are starting to just hoard things at the grocery store. You're not being able to get stuff, right? And you realize pretty quickly that this thing very well could hit you. And then you get to this point where a few days later it does hit America, even though the, the president had shut down the borders and it was a national health crisis. And at this point it had, it had killed over 10 million people and anybody who had it was dying and there was no cure. Uh, it starts to come to your area. And we've like felt this tangibly in the last few years where it's here, you know, we have to live with it. And everybody has different opinions and everyone's arguing and people are actually dying, people that we know, people that we're friends with. And yet we still kind of want to live life like normally, right? Because life is life and we have to move on, right? But this thing is so aggressive that it just starts decimating everyone. So everyone just starts just like bunkering down. And before you know it, they determine that they think there's... A a capability of building some sort of vaccine that would prevent this or that would eradicate uh, the infection. They need the blood from someone who hasn't been affected and has to be a specific strain, a type, and there's some other characteristics. It's very specific. So what they then do is they like like if we don't do anything, everyone's going to die. So we have to we have to we have to do this. And if you get infected, you get infected. It doesn't really matter. We can't stop it. So they make this announcement and they tell everyone to go to the downtown you know hospital like. And you're just going to do this quick blood thing. And then if, you, if they let you know within a few minutes, you're on your way. And you get there. And in this scenario, let's just imagine you have a family, whether you're a guy or a girl, you have a, a spouse, and you have one son. And you get there, and you all do this test. And you're obviously freaking out because you haven't seen people in several days. And like everything's just going haywire. And you're, you're reading tons of bad articles that are not helpful, right? And you're sitting in this, and you're, you're just frustrated. You get here to do the thing because you feel like you have to. You're trying to be like a helpful person in this. The world is, is at this point losing millions and millions of people every day. 
And as you're about to like get ready to, you know, they, they, they tell you, hey, your blood doesn't work, like go home. They run over to you and sure enough, they're yelling the very name that is your son. And, you know, your son's like, daddy, that's me, you know. And so in one hand, you're like, that's, that's interesting. So you go in back into the hospital with your son and they, they tell you that, like, your boy has all the right stuff, and he, he's actually the only person that we've encountered in the U.S. that's capable of, of like, this working and, and getting rid of this vaccine. Millions are dying, and they've pricked his blood, and they know it's right. They know, they, they're almost positive it will work. And, you know, all of the nurses and doctors are pumped because they've had thousands and thousands of negative results. And, uh, and so... You know, the doctor hands you a like release form, right, to like be able to administer what they had to do, and you're like about to sign it because you're excited, right? And then you realize how many pints of blood they need, and you look at the doctor, and the doctor is just going from smiling to just stone cold, and he realizes that they needed a certain amount that would be fine for an adult, but not for a child, and that if they didn't go on with this procedure that they wouldn't be able to stop this thing and the world would just be decimated. And this story becomes very hard to hear when you realize that you have to sign away your son's life. I have a daughter, so it's extra hard. As you're signing your, your son, he says these words. He says, Dad, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, um, Jesus says in Matthew, God, why have you forsaken me? And that, that, uh, that phrase really hurts when it's your son. And they wheel him away, and he dies. And, you know, if you have kids, I, I, like, I, I read this story, and I was like, gosh, I'm not going to be able to get through this. And, and it, it seems extreme, and it seems dramatic, but if we treat sin serious, this is the reality of what God did for us. And as if this isn't hard enough, <clears throat> uh, the next week, you know, your child saved the world, they took all of his blood and they administered all over. And the numbers started to drop and the vaccine worked and people started to become okay. And the next week they do a ceremony to honor your son, which is awesome. And in the ceremony, you're sitting there in the front row and you're, you know, you're conflicted because you're <coughs> super proud of your son, but you're also like, man, this, this just sucks. And then you look back and people are on their phones, and people are sleeping, and people are laughing, and you're like, what in the world? My son just died for you, and you don't even care. And, yeah, that is how much the Father loves us. Um, And I have to remember that. You have to remember that because God is not this just like robot. 
you know? He experienced pain and hardship, and we don't ever sit in that. And, um, yeah. So, um, this is an opportunity for us to process that because when we take the bread and the cup, which we offer each week, um, this is what we're reminded of, is that there was a sacrifice, not only from God and that it pains God, the, Jesus, but it also pains his father, and it, and it pains us, because the reality of what he did doesn't make sense currently. It will in two days, but it does not now, and it does not make things better. So I would encourage you, um, I want to invite Nick up, and we're going to take some time of reflection, and uh, we have three places for uh, bread and cup in the back. We also have gluten-free in the containers. I just encourage you to get up whenever you feel led. And uh, I'd love for you to, you can take it back to your seat and you can reflect on this and take it. But what we are doing is taking the body and the blood that literally was sacrificed for us. And it's just bread and juice, but the reality is that, that something had to die in order for us to live and God did not allow it to be us, but him. And uh, so that's what I want you just to reflect on, and then we'll continue in the rest of the service. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.